Well, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another episode of, of It's Everything with me, your hostess, B.B. Sweetbriar. It's here where we promise to bring you everything, every time for everybody. We are the Sunday weekly edition of the Michelle Meow Show. And um, I'm so glad to be with you every week. And we are nearing the end of uh, another month as we get closer and closer to the end of February. And uh, I hope everyone had a wonderful Valentine's Day, a day filled with love and, and wonderful expression towards someone or to you or you towards someone who you care so much about. And um, I know I felt the love in the air on that day, so I hope you felt the same. But we are here because we have a wonderful show for you. I've got two great guests, as usual, that I'd like to share some of their wonderful gifts with you by speaking with them about two of their projects that they've completed uh, most recently. My first guest is a novelist, and he actually just published his first book this past month, and I am very pleased to have him on the show. And then secondly, we'll be joined by an artist who is a surf guitarist, and I'm going to have you let that sink in a little bit. Her name is Susan Surftone, and she will be with me later about her new album and her entry not only from being an instrumentalist, but also being a vocalist with her latest album. But first up, as I said, we'll be speaking to a novelist with his first book called The House the Devil Built, and he happens to be a personal friend of mine, and I like to welcome to the show Benjamin Hively. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm fine. All the way from wonderful Louisiana. New Orleans. Yeah. Scott, I, and this is, what, two hours ahead, so I, I haven't awakened you, I hope, by this. Uh, oh, no. When we say morning here, it definitely means something different to you over there. Yeah. Nope, not at all. Well, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you. It was a long time coming. <laughs> well, you know, I, it's interesting because you know people, you know, you know people in your life um, that you think you, you've known for a little bit and you know a lot about them. And then you find out things that pop up, such as they write books, come up and you go, what? You di- I didn't even know. I didn't even know that that was not something of interest, but something that you're really good at. Because, of course, I've read the book. Well, it. It's something that I've done since I was a kid. Um, obviously, I, I started writing um, when I was young, and it was actually more screenplays than it was, you know, long-form novels. Um, so it was, it was a whole different experience kind of trying to buckle down and, you know, write this long form where I have to connect all the dots and I have to put all the, the details that normally you could you know, express on a camera. Right. But, you know, it's pretty interesting that you say that because as I read the book, the first thing after I finished it that came to mind was this would make a good movie. Yeah, and it, what's funny is I was like, I finished it, and I was like, I kind of want to do the screenplay now just, you know, mm-hmm. just to kind of put it, put it, you know, out there so I can kind of be ready in case someone comes knocking, you know? Yeah, well, no, I definitely <laughs> could see... I could definitely see uh, a movie after, you know, I, actually as I was reading it, because you're, you're very descriptive, of course, like you said before, you know, that's something that may have been new to you because there were def- definitely things in the book that you had to describe that you normally wouldn't have to if you were doing a screenplay because the camera would do that. But uh, right. it was very descriptive, and so I was v- actually very able, I was able to visualize 
quite a bit. What I think is also very interesting is that this does this book, which is a, a horror type of, it is a horror book or story, um, and it does deal with, it deals with a lot. It has the LGBTQ community, um, you know, definitely represented. It definitely has uh, the battle with um, alcoholism and addiction. That's in there. Definitely battles um, discrimination, LGBT rights. That's in there. The, ba- the Bible Belt of, uh, of the South, that's all in there. I mean, this book tackles a lot of different subjects. Yeah, I, and I tried to incorporate that, and I think, I think my main message in the book is sometimes the true horrors are, are every, is everyday life. Life, I mean, right, yeah. You know, as, as LGBTQ, I mean, we, we don't always get to be in a city where, you know, everyone's welcome or there's more of a community. Some people, you know, they grow up in these small towns where, they don't really see a lot of the outside world, so they're kind of stuck in this bubble. And you kind of, you know, obviously there's, you know, bullying that goes on with children nowadays. And, you know, I was a victim of bullying. I, I think that's, that's kind of a, a central theme of everybody, you know, growing up gay is they have, you know, they have a bully. They have, you know, they're constantly being bullied. So sometimes that doesn't end and you know you you never escape from that small town and you know you're you're constantly dealing with bullying throughout or, your or, or you life ret- or you return to that small town yeah you know yeah. like your protagonist who you know was from a small town moved to new orleans hustle and bustle of new orleans and then moves back to a small town kind of not regressing but somewhat revisiting some of the things that probably are part of his his young, his young past. Yeah, and you know, I, with this book, I kind of try to put. You know, I was always told to write what you know, and I, I I've done that. You know, I, I I've moved you know to big cities and then back to the small town. So there's definitely a different feeling, you know, in the smaller towns, obviously, because it's isolating almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's you know, I obviously I live in New Orleans now where there's, you know, a big gay community and there's, you know, there's, you know, gay festivals such as Southern Decadence and all of that. But then, you know, I go back home where, you know, the, the best entertainment you have is Walmart. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so it's like, you know, I, I try to put my own experiences in the book as well. And it's, you know, it kind of, it kind of hurt me in a way because it was kind of going back to those, quote-unquote dark times yeah and your protagonist is a is a writer as well yeah that is correct so that's kind of you know that's a similarity in which you also share when we when you when um when you read the book and you get a sense of also because this kind of covers a period it begins back it goes back in time into the 60s um, with the first incident of, of this book, and, and it you know kind of brings us up to present time, but it does. You, I get a sense of now, totally now, even though um, uh, many people who aren't from the South may not, or or live in areas such as San Francisco, who n- may not be as familiar with some of the uh, religious fury that goes on in the Bible. Belt state, but I kind of felt like some of these things that were being presented to your, to your main characters in their new town, 
are probably things that are being dusted off and being presented to gay people today under our current atmosphere of, you know, government and, and its administration. Yeah, and and when I actually started this book, um, like, four years ago, and I'm the, I'm the worst kind of writer because I actually sat it down for about three and a half years, and when I started writing it again, you know, you, we have the elections going on, we have, you know, people are disconnecting from civil rights, not even just for, you know, the LGBTQ community, but civil rights for a lot. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I started writing this book, my initial thought is, you know what, I want to get it out for the, you know, I want to get it out for the inauguration. Um, unfortunately, that, that didn't happen. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's very much, like you said, it's very much now. And I, I'm glad that I was able to get it now out now to kind of put a sense of reality into the situation in the book, you know? Well, one of the things that you end the book on is the idea that, because it kind of comes in where one of your major characters, and I'm not going to give away anything, you know, you guys have to read the book, because it it is a good read, um, is that um, uh, the preacher in the book, or the one who represents the religious right in the book, um, is kind of blaming the evil that's brought into the town and his idea on the gay couple, that they brought this evil with them. And at the end of the book, you get a sense that the evil was always there, and that's what the book is telling you, that sometimes, it, it, you kind of um, brought up, is that sometimes evil or some bad things are always there. It's just that they're kind of hidden and buried, and there's certain circumstances that happen where things come to the surface, which I think happens in this book. And, and that's very much true. I mean, even nowadays, um, with, you know, huge, huge nature um, events, you know, Hurricane Katrina, for example, I, and I actually bring that up in my you book, mm-hmm. you know, where you have these very extreme you know, religious people that are like, this is because, you know, the homosexuals, this is, mm-hmm. you know, and they kind of, they're looking for an outside force to kind of blame, you know, the problems of the world on. And it's, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, we live on planet, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to have, you know, negative things happening. And they're, it's, it, it is a, a sense of, you know, placing blame on somewhere where blame can't be placed. Right. Right. Um, I um, I always think it's kind of interesting when you read a book where the surroundings are, you know, somewhere around New Orleans, if not specifically there, but on the outskirts, which this book primarily takes place in a small town outside of New Orleans. Um, and But they always deal with that struggle between good and evil when it comes to that setting. (laughs) What is it about New Orleans that or, you know, that just that's what the stories are always about, the good, the battle between good and evil? Well, in New Orleans, Orleans especially, I mean, New Orleans is a very festive place, no matter what time of year it is. I mean, it could be Mardi Gras. It could be. You know, Southern decadence. It could be any time in the in the in the year, and you're always going to find people on Bourbon Street. You're always going to find you know people into the debaucherous fun that is New Orleans. But at the same time, there there's so much more to New Orleans than you know 
that kind of Hollywood side of New Orleans that everyone thinks when they hear, you know, New Orleans. So it's, it, it is a kind of a, I mean, New Orleans is kind of a two-faced kind of town, or I guess it's not even really a town, it's a city, um, where, you know, you can have your fun, you can, but there is so much more to the city as far as history. There's, there's just good and evil constantly. You can go out and have a, you know, a debaucherous time and then come back, you know, and have dinner with the kids and, you know, crawfish boils and all of that. So it's, and get up and go to church on Sunday. And yeah, and then go to church on Sunday and then go back to, you know, Sunday fun day where you're, you're <laughs> again. You know, it is it's a very interesting city and, and New Orleans is very, very much Catholic. Yes. And I, I you know, I'm not I'm weirdly to say I, I didn't grow up religious. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's kind of a different thing where like, you know, Mardi Gras is forty days before, you know, everybody gives up something, and, you know, it, and it, it's, it, there's a method to the madness, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good way to put that. Good way to put that. We're going to take a, a, a quick break, and then when I come back, I want to talk to you more about, uh, a little bit more about the book, but also where you plan on going after this book, and whether or not... This might be the beginning of a series in this kind of uh, same subjects that you present in uh, The House the Devil Built. We'll be right back with Benjamin Hively and The House the Devil Built right after this. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. 
And we're back. Welcome back to It's Everything with me, B.B. Sweetbriar. And um, I hope that you were with us for our first part of the show because we've been speaking with Benjamin Hively, the author of a brand new book. I have been out less than a month, The House the Devil Built. Um, and where is that available now? Um, uh, can, is it okay if I call you Benji since that's what I know you as? Yeah, you can call me Benji. That was actually one of my issues. I'm like, well, shit. Oh, you can, you can, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> we, uh, I was like, what do now I Now you sound, now you sound like Adele yeah. on the uh, Grammys. Like I'm telling you, watch that mouth out. Right. Um, but I was like, what am I going to put on the front of my book? Because everybody knows me as Benji. I was like, Benji just sounds, you know, more fun than I was. Yeah, for, <laughs> a horror, like, for a horror story, it's like Benji? Oh, that doesn't sound too yeah. appropriate. Um, so... Yeah, you can call me Benjamin. Okay, well, Benjamin, <laughs> Benj- I'll, I'll call you Benjamin on make sure that the people out there, you know, keep that professional <laughs> distance out there for everyone. But um, uh, we were, we as we as we left, we were talking about a little bit about um, the the good and evil that seems to be associated with New Orleans or stories about New Orleans. You know, a lot of authors write, whether it be vampires or, you know, the the good and evils from a religious standpoint. All those things are usually somewhere entailed in books about New Orleans. But you said that, you know, you, you're used to being a screenwriter. So my, my question is, did you normally write screenplays about horror film were they horror films or i mean why why the horror element because you the, the subject matters that are kind of in the book did not have to be detailed through horror a horror story um i grew up actually on horror movies um so i kind of i have this horror background i guess you could say mm-hmm. um so when i i was growing up i actually didn't start writing screenplays until i uh, i was in the fifth grade and one of my librarians had had mentioned to me because she knew that I loved you know horror movies that I should make a movie for the Chicago Children's Film Festival, and I was like, well, that's a, you know that's an interesting idea, and I kind of went with it, and then I was kind of given a choice of whether going on vacation or making this movie, and I decided the vacation was <laughs> the better option, you know, being the kid um, that I was. So that's kind of where it uh, it began was was writing screenplays for that uh-huh. and most and most of them have been horror I've, I've done some uh drama screenplays and you know try i i do comedy um but i find it really really hard to write comedy in long form mm-hmm. so as much as i'd like to eventually write a comedy film i don't think that i have it in me so you're, I don't well, you're still that. so young that right. you know Wait till life gets upon you, then you have to find the humor and everything, and that pen will start right moving so easily with comedy, because now right. you'll have so many more years to find the humor and everything. You'll you'll have to, you know what I mean? Um, right. As we were talking about some of the things that are mentioned or that are covered in the book, in in particular with the LGBTQ community, one is a little bit of a coming uh, is a coming out story to a certain extent, and. I think I was, when I first started reading it, I was kind of shocked about where you were going with that because I initially thought it was going to be with more of the adolescent side of it than the adult side. And um, uh, and again, getting back to what I was saying before, where people think, where you kind of give this message where people want to place, like you said, place the blame on something entering into an already 
calm situation that brought this evil. You know, you don't bring gay. Gay's already there. It just certain circumstances brought this this person realized that they were gay on that. Right. And um, I, and I was just kind of kind of. Um, uh, whether or not you brought that out to to for that character so that we could understand his sympathy towards the gay couple within this pretty hostile environment or community, uh, why this person was the one person who kind of sympathized with them a little bit, and he was a person of authority. Right. Um, when I started writing it, writing it, my initial, as you said, I was actually initially going to go with the adolescent side of it, um, and I, when I write, I kind of let the, the characters take over. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't do, like, a whole pre-planning. I kind of, you know, go with the flow, and, and whichever way it goes is the way I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. And with, with the, the character that, that does eventually realize that he's gay, a lot of times, you know, religion can, religion can be a wonderful thing, and it can also be a very, very hurtful thing, um, in some circumstances, because people are kind of, you know, pushed in, they're pushed in their brain where, you know, this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. That's why we do see so many. And, and I've seen so many people coming out so late in their life because they were, they were kind of pushed in this direction mm-hmm. where you're supposed to have a wife and kids. You're supposed to go to church every Sunday and, and Wednesday and, you know, whatever else is re- required of you. Mm-hmm. And, that that kind of when I started writing it, I'm like, well, I kind of need that need some sort of sympathy in that community, mm-hmm. and that's where where, where the it showed up. Kind of, yeah, but that's where it showed so, up. Um, and, yeah. and I can definitely relate to not so much being um, pressured from the religious side of things, but I can definitely relate to coming into one's own later in life as opposed to earlier, you know, based on other propaganda that, you know, one was privy to as a youth, you know what I mean? And, and, um, and, you know, kind of let that sway my earlier part of, you know, how I live my life. But, um, um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted, I kind of wanted to put that out there because I thought that was kind of interesting because it did make a turn where I, I wasn't expecting at all. And, um, which is always good to have that in a book, right? A little twist where, you know, you know, a little fork in the road where we don't expect it, right? Right. You know, <laughs> you know and e- even with that character, I mean, my, my whole point with the book is all of the characters are flawed and, yeah. and whether they realize it or not. And even, even though he's coming into his own, he's still, he's still, dealing with his flaws and uh, allowing certain situations to happen where he's not brave enough to kind of come forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I said, this book kind of, you know, it, it, there is a definitive ending, maybe, maybe not, um, to the book, but I mean, it, it does kind of give you the idea that there could be a, a, a series going here. There could be something that, we could continue in some kind of way with this, the house, the devil built. Um, what, what do you think? Do you see some, did you immediately, once you put the pen down and concluded with this, that you thought, hmm, I'm already thinking of somewhere to continue this? 
I, I very much, when I was writing it, it was going to be, I wanted it to be kind of a standalone book because of the messages in it. Um, and one of my biggest things was the main character is this kind of this celebrity surrounding him. And I love celebrity culture. I, I love a good kind of meltdown, unfortunately. When, uh, I love a little Britney here and there. Here yeah, and there. I, love, I love a little Britney. I love a little Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. So, so I kind of, I think the next book, and I, I am planning on a next book for the House of Devil Bill. I kind of want to go more, more into the celebrity culture, and and kind of go into that direction with another book. Um, well, we kind of want to know what happens to Ashton. Right, we, right. We do, we do. Yeah. You know, we we, we want to know. So I mean, you could utilize him in another. It's the same character carrying on. He's a young man. He's in his twenties still. He's got a whole life to live. Right, right. And 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 like I said, I wrote that character. He's um he's twenty seven in the book, and we all know the infamous twenty seven club. Yes, so we do. Mean, so we can. Uh, we can always hope for the next <laughs> one. <laughs> we can also we can always hope for his demise through death. Oh my gosh, that's, yeah. so, that's such a horror story. Um, celebrity meltdown. <laughs> well, this is a real good book, and I do love the fact that you did. Um, you know, uh, like I said, it's so now, and there are so many good. You know, there's so much good subject matter there that um, it kept it very interesting and. Um, and it's and it's a it's a it's a fairly easy read as far as I don't I don't mean that from you know grammatically speaking but I mean it's just a very easy read that uh, you you could continue to go through it and before you know it, it's like oh my god I already read a hundred pages you know what I mean so I must right. well finish the book it's kind of what, you, what my my mind thinks so I'm always half I'm already half through I must well finish it um, but I mean it's um, it, it's really easy to keep that flow going because. Um, you do a good job of going back and forth with the different storylines because each each character does kind of have a different, you know, a different background, a different storyline, and you go very well with each one going back and forth without us losing continuity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and the biggest issue that I had with writing was actually going into the pastor's head, you know, mm -hmm. kind of um, Pastor Schlepp in the book, which, by the way, is a is a, an anagram for Phelps, um, which is of course the leader of the Westboro Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. But um, it was kind of hard to go into that place, you know, being a homosexual man, going into that place where that person, you know, despises everything that I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it was interesting to go into that character and kind of delve into that. Yeah. Well. Well, good job, and definitely a fantastic job for your first time out of the gate. Well, thank you. And now, where can we get the book again? I, I, I think I started the question. I didn't let you finish the answer to that. Um, it's available uh, currently on Amazon uh, in paperback and uh, the Kindle edition. Okay. Um, it's also available on Kindle Unlimited if you have that. Okay. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it's The House the Devil Built by Benjamin Hively. It's a great story, great read. Horror, but it's not going to be something that I don't think you would, should lose any sleep over for those of you who have some of those issues. Um, you definitely will understand the book and probably get into, like I said, the various different subject matters that I think most of us can relate to as LGBTQ community members. Thanks, Benjamin, for sharing um, the Thank book you. with us, and I hope to see more and more from you. 
Awesome. I hope so, too. Okay. Well, we're going to go to another quick break, and when we come back, we'll be back with Susan uh, Surftone, a guitarist and a vocalist, and there's something new about that for her. We'll be right back. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of It's Everything. Thank you for sitting through the uh, commercial break there. I hope that you were with us when we spent our first half of the show with a new author, new novelist, Benjamin Hively, as he talked about his first book that was uh, released in the middle part of January called The House the Devil Built, a horror film, a horror film, because it is written kind of with that that feeling in mind, and when I got through with it, I could definitely see this as a movie. Um, but it's a horror story, but definitely deals with uh, many LGBTQ subject matter, um, as well as uh, you know, it's a coming out story for part of it. Um, there's some addiction issues in the in the book. Um, there's definitely a Bible Belt religious side to it. It's a very good um, New Orleans-based evil versus good type of. Uh, story. So I hopefully you guys will uh, get that again at Amazon.com. Yeah, the house the devil built, Benjamin Hively. So definitely check that out. But now it brings us to our next guest, who I, I kind of introduced as being a surf guitarist. And I, I, I kind of let that linger for some of you who may not know what that is. But as we get into speaking with her, I think you'll definitely get the idea for sure. And we're going to play some of her music as well. But I've got Susan Surftone on the phone. How are you? 
I'm doing good. That's good. Now you're you're in Portland, right? Yes, that's right. Oh gosh, how is it up there today? I bet you it's beautiful. Actually, it's nice. A little overcast and a, a little cool, but very nice. Kind of, kind of, nice. kind of similar to San Francisco, probably in many ways. Yeah. You yeah. know, we got that little coastal thing that's always happening out this way, no matter where you are along the coast, probably. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you're able to join us. You, you're one of those, um, those artists that definitely have a, a, a story behind the story, if you know what I mean. You know, we all, we all have stories as artists that kind of uh, give us an idea of, like, where our artistry comes from. And then there's a story sometimes behind that. And you kind of have that extra story behind that, being that you were in law enforcement for so many That's years true. beforehand. I mean, not just law enforcement. We're talking FBI. We're talking yeah. Russian espionage type <laughs> of story. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, is, that has to, first of all, before I even get to the music, how does one, you know, how, how does a, a, a nice young lady like you get into something like that? Well, you're making the assumption I was a nice young lady. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I just, I was interested in... Um, I was just interested in it. I always read about politics since I was a little kid. I mean, mm -hmm. a little kid. And um, I took, uh, when I was in college, I took uh, political science and economics and focused on like, the Soviet Union, because at that time there was the Soviet Union. And I didn't, when I graduated from law school, I had taken a lot of international courses, international law. I didn't want to go to work for a law firm, and I saw an ad in the newspaper for the FBI. And it seemed that, that seemed like a pretty good idea. I yeah. also saw one for the CIA, and I went to both interviews. And both were interested in going further, but I, I didn't want to leave the country, so I opted for the FBI because I knew they did the counterintelligence work with the uh, Soviet Union. And I took the test. I did well. I went to the training. I did well and um, became an agent. And that, that's how, kind of how I got there. I just wanted to do something that was concurrent with an interest that I had. I didn't want to work in a kind of, I saw that at stuffy law firm, which yeah. was right. And, you know, it just seemed exciting. It seemed like something that I wanted to do. It was a challenge. Wow. Now, during all this period of time, because you, you were with the Bureau for how long? Oh, for three years. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. During this time, were you, were you also um, playing... Uh, the guitars and, and, and all of that, or did that come after leaving? That came, well, that was why I left the Bureau. I had started playing when I was nine years old, and I'd always played. I followed music, played music by myself. I was never in a band, and I was, I think I was about 28, and I it was getting to be that point where I was either going to do it or I was never going to do it. Um, when John Lennon was uh, killed, it has kind of affected me because it was like you're, you know, this man lost his life kind of for rock and rolling away for mm -hmm. a lot of things. And it's like you're not doing what you want to do with your life. So it made me think about what I was doing with my life. And um, I, you know, did the, the personal assessment thing and said I'm not really happy what I'm doing. I want to play music, and I'm going to. I'm getting I'm getting old. At 28, I was getting old to get into to the music industry. So I talked to my supervisors at the Bureau and said I wanted to start a band, and I did want to play in clubs like CBGB. And they said no, because they said, you know, well, these are words you're hearing a lot in the news today. Um, you would be compromised. You could mm -hmm. be blackmailed. You could be this. You could be that. And it's like, but they're playing the guitar, but okay. 
You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're going to be in a in a place where people, you know, they'll be drugs, they'll be this, they'll be that, you know. And I just decided, no, I'm not going to stay with this because I really wanted to do the music. So that was kind of my impetus for quitting, leaving the Bureau. Yeah, going with your that, passion. Yeah, and I also wanted to live my lifestyle the way I wanted to live my lifestyle because at that time you could not be gay and be in the Bureau because you were viewed as a security risk who could be compromised, compromised because right. you were gay. Yeah. So it was like there were there were a lot of factors pushing me away from the bureau at that time and and into music and it's a it's a choice and I'm glad I made. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad all of your fans are happy you made that choice yeah, as well. Now, I yeah. did work for the I did work for the NYPD though while I had music, was playing music. Uh-huh. I was an attorney for them in the 80s. I uh, used to be a drug dealer from housing projects. Oh wow! The, uh, for the wow. NYPD, yeah, they didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now you, um, now I know you, your current project, The Magician, is mm-hmm. is, is a solo effort um, uh, under you know Susan's surf tone. But you actually mm-hmm. did. You were talking before you initially didn't start playing with band, but you did form a band. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, I did form a band. I had bands in the '80s in New York City when I lived there, and we had. They were kind of blondie, blondie-esque type new wave things with, with singers. I was usually a female singer. And I went, uh, the full commitment to instrumental was, came in the 90s. It was kind of right around the time the music, um, the movie Pulp Fiction came out. Uh-huh. Surf song, Miserable from Dick Dale. And I played, I had a band, Susan and the Surf Tones, and we toured in Europe four times. We had a record deal in Germany, one in Belgium, one in Italy. And then in 2011, I had already made my move over here to Portland, and I decided that I wanted to do my recordings, basically, with just me and a, and a drummer. And um, I and, and that's where record. that's where the art we we discovered the voice of Susan. We discovered we discovered the voice in 2016. It still took a while. Wow. So, well, what, it, did you, well, you had yeah. to know it was there. It was, was it a matter of kind of getting over some insecurities or? Yeah, yes. Yeah, because, you know, because that's kind of what we know is there. It's just like, you know, you you just, you just have your own hang-up. You had your own hang-up, right? I did. I, I Well, I saw myself as a guitar player. I had played guitar since I was nine. I wanted to be a lead guitar player. George was my favorite Beatle at the time because he didn't sing that much. I was always told I, I really couldn't sing because I have a, a low voice for a woman. Mm-hmm. So when I was growing up in the 60s, if a girl sung like Elvis Presley, you were told not to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I always played with things to Elvis and Beatle and, you know, records at home and everything, and I enjoyed it. But I never ventured out to, to sing, you know, in, yeah. in, in, as a gig, in gigs. And then it was another thing. I was at that point of you're either going to do it or you're never going to do it. And do you want to do it? Yes, I want to do it. So I'm going to try it. Well, we're going to let, uh, let, let us let us let us let the audience hear a little bit of that. We're going to play a little bit lied to, which you kind of in the video to this, you kind of play a little homage to Elvis and Jackie mm-hmm. Wilson and people back from that 50s era uh, yeah, in yeah. in the video, which um, I encourage everybody out there to look at because it's really cute to watch. You kind of bring on those person you know, that persona and that swagger in your performance in the video. But let, let, let's let the audience listen to this wonderful piece of work and your vocal, okay? 
This is okay. Little Bit Lied To by the wonderful Susan Surftone. And then we're going to go to a break and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about this, okay? is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. 
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Well, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for staying with us as we enter the final quarter of today's episode. We've been speaking with Susan Surftone. And before we went to break, we listened to the latest or one of the singles off her latest EP, The Magician. That song was called A Little Bit Lied To. And as you can tell, uh, Susan is a surf guitarist. And by the song, you kind of now know, as all those who didn't know what I was talking about, what that kind of is. And it kind of gives you that feeling of back in the day with, I think, the Beach Boys, the Monkees, that era of, of music and that vibe. And um, is, am I kind of describing it right? Yeah, you're getting it right. You yeah. know, the Beatles, all of that is all, you know, all the time when Elvis made those beach movies and, you know, uh, Annette Funicello on the beach and all that kind of good stuff. I, you have that good surf music that's always in the background going there or, or, or what the kids were doing it, uh, during the movies, and that's what it is that, that you play. Now, you write all the stuff that is on this EP or on, in your music, right? You write all of that. I write a good bit of it. There's a mixture of uh, my originals and my covers. I like to mix them up, and I like to, on the covers, I like to give them my own interpretation. Your little spin, so right? Never do a straight cover, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and on that particular um, song, Little Bit Lied To, um, you play the, the guitars and the bass, mm-hmm. and then uh, one of your producers plays the, the drums, and that's, that's right. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Steve Kravak played the drum on that one. He's the producer that I've done most of my work with. Yeah, and I, I just kind of, I kind of like that whole. It's, a, it's a little simple, but yet all the music that you need to hear is there. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I really like that. And we get, and we're so used with today's music of hearing everything that is so computerized and electronic, that we forget about, you know, the basic instrument. And, that's, you know, that they are still out there and they're still played in, in studio sessions. And that's, you know, what you did in your studio mm-hmm. session. That's right. Yeah, there are a lot of us still doing that. We're, we're still people that play that style of music are, are definitely still playing the instruments and, and doing it the old-fashioned way. But isn't that fun, though? I, it has yeah. to be fun. Yeah, it is. You know, I being a, music, uh, a singer, a, a recording artist myself, I remember the first time... Um, going in the studio and performing with a live band, which I had not done before. And I found myself more at ease and able to get through my vocal performance than I did when I didn't have all of that. Yeah, there's an energy that feeds off. You feed off the musicians and, and you work together. And, and when it's good, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, how long did it take you to put the material together for The Magician? How long did it take? Yeah, like um, when because you, you, you said you moved to Portland in 2011. Yeah. So I'm gathering once you decided that you were going to do this the solo project, it may have started well, somewhere around then, or am I wrong in that assumption? Well, 
Yeah, I started the solo stuff, but I did. I've done a lot of recordings. I did a, a full length EP, a full length LP called Shore, and then I did one called Too Far, then I did an EP called Reckoning, then there was an EP called Blue Light at Midnight. These are all just instrumental, no vocals. Mm-hmm. Then with the, the Magician was the introduction of some vocal songs, and now I've just finished up a new one that'll be out probably around April called Making Waves Again. So people tell me I I work fast and record a lot. Maybe I guess I do. I don't well, know. well, and hey, but back in the day, that's yeah. when it used. That's what ha- used to happen. Yeah, you know? yeah, because yeah. some people process. keep we keep looking at performers now. And I, I was I was just speaking with someone, particularly uh, when the Grammy season started, and we were talking about vocalists and you know singers and particular female f- singers that are back in the charts, you know, head uh, or or mm-hmm. control the charts again. And Barbara Streisand came up in the conversation. And I, I just said, isn't it kind of ironic where you've got people who have, um, uh, you know, are considered to be legendary, um, even in, in a young point in their career, and they've only put out X amount of, you know, records or albums. Right. And then you have somebody who's still putting out music like Barbara Streisand, who literally has put out over 50 albums, mm-hmm. you know, and you're making that comparison with someone who's only done not even 10. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. to me, there is no yeah. comparison. It's like, but they used to churn out. I remember one year, I think Barbara put out three albums in one year. And I mean, that's used to be how they used to do it. Now it's like hey. three years before you put out your your next album. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some, mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird. So you're kind of on that old tip. You like to crank it out. I like to crank it out, and I like to do I like to do the EPs. They're shorter; they're like six or seven songs. Yeah. Usually, so they're not full length albums, but with the way music is purchased today, with you know, that's kind of what you got to do. Yeah. Singles. Yeah. Yeah. There's no to me. There's no sense in waiting to get like a full length LP ready when you. I like to do them. They're kind of like half the LP. You know? Yeah. You put oh, them together. Right. Now you, people just mix and match what they want anyway. And you're in the process of going on tour. Um, you said you just now finished up your, your next one coming out called mm-hmm. Riding the Wave. Is that what you said? I'm sorry. Making. Making, making the Wave. Making, and is making that the name wave. of the tour? That's the name of the tour? That's the name of the, that's the, name of the new EP that will be out in April and probably the name of the tour, too. Yeah. And, and that yeah. gears up in May, the tour? I think pro- probably later in the summer, I think. Uh-huh. I think I'll be doing later in the summer because I've been doing... I've been doing some political writing uh, that's been in The Advocate and Curve Magazine, some in The Huffington Post, and with all the stuff that's going on, it's like <laughs> there's a lot to write about. So Yeah, well, now that you're, but now that you're vocalizing as well mm-hmm. as doing the instrumentation, will that somehow creep into some of the music, some oh, of yeah. your political messages? and It, it might, it could. It could hasn't yet, but you know, say, just think yeah, of it as being a lawyer writing a brief. That's all you got to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine that it'll probably find its way in there. Yeah, you I know, particularly yeah. with, um, you know, you being, you know, um, you know, gay, and a woman, and those two are definitely of major concern with the current administration. And you know, I'm sure, and I've read, I read your pieces, your your op-ed uh, pieces, and, you know, they they, they had a lot to say and, and very mm-hmm. clear that you could definitely, I'm sure, put those to mu- music in some way. I think they'll sneak in there a little bit. And actually, a little bit lied to had a double meaning. Yeah. It was a song that I wrote back in the 90s, and 
when the political when the election was going on and in this political climate, the song just popped into my head, and I said I always wanted to sing that song, and maybe now's the time to do it because that's all anybody's doing is lying, right? And I think it might be the time. A so little I bit lied to. Wow, that <laughs> that that does have a, a special ring to it, doesn't it? It does today, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Now, what what are some of the places you're thinking that you'll be touring when you um, pick it up this summer? I, I'm sure, you know, being that it is surfed, uh, surfed uh, type music, that the California cities have to be on the map. Yeah, probably um, San Francisco, L.A. I've never played in San Diego. I kind of thinking about going down there. Uh-huh. But yeah, down through. Um, and there's that, California. Yeah, there's that orange, or like, is it in Orange County where they have that surf, um, not the surf, the uh, boardwalk kind of mm-hmm. uh, area yeah. that has some nice little um, uh, clubs and, you know, bars that are on the beach. And um, and definitely, like, Santa Cruz would be probably someplace that would be awesome. Yeah, um, and I, m- I might head back east maybe either this year or the beginning of next year. And uh, do something on the East Coast too, because that's where I started, and I haven't I haven't played on the East Coast in quite a while. So are you like, are you tackling it. any of the Prides this year? Uh, I haven't thought about it, but maybe. I maybe think maybe. San Francisco yeah. Pride would be hungry yeah, for you know, for Susan idea. Surf Town. I think San Francisco Pride would be hungry for Susan Surf Town. That's a good idea. I think I will. Yeah, I think you need to. I think you need to look that up, my love. I think you do. I, think I do. Okay, I, do. I could just see yeah. it now. They'd eat you up, honey. I think that's a good idea. There, there's like 75,000 people looking at you just waiting to surf it away. That sounds like, that sounds like fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so excited that you, you definitely, I mean, this is, I think this is going to be um, a great journey to follow with you mm-hmm. uh, because I think, like you said, discovering uh, the, the, the new gift or an additional gift that you have with actually vocalizing uh, your songs that it probably has also given you kind of a, a different, I wouldn't say renewed vigoration, but definitely a, a different way of looking at performing your music than you've done over the years, because you've done it for so long, that sometimes we need a little bit of spark, something new to kind of, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And this is definitely put something a different, <laughs> you know, to look at every time you go in to do it. It's like, God, I've got a whole n- new perspective on it than I did before. Yes, I certainly studied Madonna and Bowie, who were the masters of reinvention. Oh, there you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. There you go. And yep. I do. I love your look. I definitely love it in the video. Thank you. Thanks. You know, kind of reminds me of, um, oh, oh, God, it just kind of slipped my uh, mind. But you, uh, there was an image that came into my head of another female artist that kind of had the androgynous look. Oh, I know you know who I'm talking about. Um, she does more folk and country. Katie Lang. Oh, yeah. Kinda, yeah. I, had, I kind of got that. Yeah. That that feel that energy from you when I watch the the video. Well, thank you. That's a compliment. Thank yeah, you. definitely. Well, keep it up. Thank you, and I will. You know, and I look forward to reading more of your your op eds. Hopefully, um, you know, definitely they're definitely insightful and definitely information that our community needs to hear. Yep, I'll be writing another one today. In fact, this afternoon I'll be writing another one. Okay, great. And that might and can you tell me where that may end up, or do you know yet? Uh, I hope. The advocate. Okay. There you guys heard it here yep. first. Look for um, 
a new piece from Susan Surftone in The Advocate. Yes, I think I'll be talking about uh, Attorney General Sessions. Oh, there you go. That, there uh, you that, go. That, that might be one of a series of pieces on that subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be. <laughs> well, thanks again for your time and enjoy it up there in Portland. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thanks. Again, this yeah. is, that was Susan Surftone. You can get her music on all the, um, the uh, online uh, music uh, uh, outlets such as um, Amazon and iTunes. Uh, and definitely check out her, her music. Definitely puts you in a great mood back to the times when all you wanted to do is go to the beach and sit on the, on the beach and listen to the waves and just enjoy good times. And we kind of need that sometimes, and right now more than ever. I want to thank you guys for joining us on the show today. We've had some great guests, starting off with Ben, Benjamin Hively, who, again, his book, The House the Devil Built, is available on Amazon.com. A great read. I encourage all of you to get, to get it and check it out. And you'll, you'll read through it quite quickly and enjoy it, I'm sure. And so I guess I will bid you guys... Uh, adieu until next week when I will tell you this next week my guest will be the one and only Lonnie Anderson so definitely want to check me out next week as well until then take care bye bye Okay.